Thank you. You can all be seated. Um, we're going to let the kids go off to their various rooms. I do think next Sunday is a meal, right? A fellowship meal. Do we have a theme for that, Susan? Or is it just like bring whatever you want? Bring, bring whatever <laughs> you want. We'll do a true potluck next Sunday and have a fellowship meal together. And it sounds like the theme of the meals at our house every, time, every day. My kids call that yo-yo. You're on your own. <laughs> No, I think that's another week out, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We'll have to do something good for that, maybe, too. Hey, everybody. Hey, Jason. We're going to talk some more about fruit today. Last week, for those of you that were here, you'll recall we talked about the bad fruit. The rotten fruit. Yes, we touched rotten fruit. We threw it away. We, according to scripture, what we need to do with that bad fruit is crucify it, right? Get rid of it. And it doesn't die as easily as we'd like it to. But that's what we do because we dump it to make room for the good. Thriving, as Scott talked about, can be defined as an ever-increasing amount of the good fruit. And the good fruit is the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So just as a reminder, Paul, to the Galatians in chapter 5, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You want more of that in your life? I do. You know, honestly, at my funeral, and and I think about these things, I'm kind of weird that way, but at my funeral, I would love it if my friend Jeff, who's going to do my funeral, could stand up there and say that Christ showed himself through Anne's life in her love, her joy, her patience, her peace, her goodness, her faithfulness, her gentleness, and her self-control. I have a ways to go. I don't know about you. But we all want that, don't we? Wouldn't that be the perfect epitaph for our lives? That Christ showed himself through the fruit of the Spirit that was grown in our lives. So growing this good fruit in order to thrive, we want to grow it. We try to grow it. And remember, only God grows the fruit, right? We can't strain it out on our own. But we get stuck. Have you ever felt like this little picture up here? little boy hanging from the clothesline. His brother probably did that to him. Yeah, we get stuck. We need to yield to God and let him do the work. But we get stuck sometimes, and wherever you're stuck, it may not be your entire life that's stuck, but from time to time there'll be a part of your life that gets stuck, right? Am I alone here? No? We get stuck certain places, And I'll throw this out to you as almost an absolute. Wherever you are stuck, there's an absence of grace. There's an absence of grace in your life in that stuck place. More grace needs to be applied so that you can be freed up to yield the good fruit. And you can't truly give grace to yourself. It only comes externally from the giver of grace. And Jesus explains this need for grace in a parable that he teaches that, that Luke recorded. And it's, it's in Luke 13, chapter, or, um, chapter 13, verses 6 through 9, 
he says this, Jesus says this, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? You ever feel like that tree? That you're just taking up soil? What a horrible stuck place to be if you're that tree. But it's not true. It's not a waste of the soil. And we get stuck, and sometimes we believe those lies that say, we're stuck, we're just a waste of space, basically. God never says that to us. So Jesus goes on in the parable, and he says, Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it, and I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If it doesn't, cut it down. Digging up around the roots, what does that do? It allows the tree access to the nutrients that it needs. You know, God grows the fruit, but this this next slide shows the picture of something that is completely root-bound. Ever felt that way? I need some fresh soil. I need the ability to let my roots deep seek deeper into the living water that God provides. We need help from outside of ourselves to do that. You know, that root-bound condition requires help. It's just kind of like the car that runs out of gas. You can tell the car all you want to go fill itself. Is it gonna? And we're much the same way. That fruit-producing tree can't untangle its constricted roots. No matter how they got that way, no matter what happened, they can't untangle them on their own without some help. And God gives us that help directly through a touch of his hand, and many times that touch of his hand is through others, other believers, who come along to help dig into that root-bound ball and add nutrients, living water, so that that tree, us, in this scenario, can thrive. Now, digging into your root ball can be uncomfortable. Imagine that. Even when we're stuck, sometimes we're comfortable in that stuck place because it's all we know. But allowing God to dig in there, loosen it up, break things loose so that our roots can grow deeper will require that we face issues, that we heal from past hurts, that we go through grief, that we accept responsibility, and that we choose to grow so that we can thrive. But he'll do the work if we'll yield to the process. You know, I love all this stuff about trees and fruit, and I, I just always love me a good agricultural metaphor. I'm a farm girl, and they are everywhere in Scripture. You can't get through Scripture without having all sorts of agricultural metaphors. It's a big part of my life. I work in agriculture as well, and I went to the University of Illinois, and I studied agriculture. And while growing the fruit of the Spirit wasn't a part of my curriculum at the University of Illinois back in the day, God placed people in my life who eventually would circle around in my life, a number of them, that I had no idea at the time was going to be all about honoring God and a desire to share him with all who would listen. And one such person is my friend, Mike Keller, who is here today with his lovely wife, Ruth. And so, Mike, if you would come up, we're going to 
have a little conversation with Mike, and I'll, I'll get Mike a mic here. Now Mike has a mic. Hey, Mike. Hello. Hello. But, Anne, you, I thought you told me that we were going to talk about your college days and no, what happened there. No, please, and no. How you corrupted me? Yeah. Oh, or at least that's how I remember. You know, it was just a couple of years ago that we were there. <laughs> Almost 30, actually. And it was interesting because Mike and I would have lots of conversations about life, but I actually just asked him this morning once we got here, and I said, were you a Christ follower when we were in college? Because I, I don't actually remember. I knew I wasn't. And Mike said, I knew of God, but I didn't have a relationship with him. And isn't that the way so many of us are? And we're trying to thrive, or at least at a certain point in our life, we were, we were wanting the good life. We were wanting it all. And we were trying to do it by knowing of God, but not truly having a relationship with him. But it's interesting, Mike is also an agriculturalist, and uh, we reconnected, I think, via Facebook probably, yeah, three or four years ago, and then he hasn't been on Facebook since, and so I thought maybe he just, like, totally dismissed me or unfriended me or whatever it happened to be. But interestingly, just restarting that conversation, and, and I was in the process of planning this whole series around Thrive for January. And uh, probably six, eight weeks ago, I got an email from Mike talking coincidentally about what it meant to thrive and how just surviving isn't an option anymore and how critical it is to trust God with abandon in order to access his power and to grow that good fruit in our lives. So I want Mike to help me today as we share some essential points about growing that fruit in our lives. And it is just so cool to watch what God does in our lives, and most of it we see in hindsight, of course, but the people that he will bring back around into our lives. And so I'm very grateful for my friend Mike. So tell us, first and foremost, about your path to truly becoming a Christ follower. And he told me this one could take several hours, so, <laughs> so go get another bagel, but no, go ahead. Well, first of all, thank you for having us here today. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor to be here uh, with all of you today. Um, my life has been uh, somewhat boring in the sense of how I became a Christian, how I started to follow Christ. And, and whenever people ask me about that, I, I always remember Brad Stein, who is a Christian comedian, and he was, uh, had much the same kind of a, a life when it comes to following Christ. He, he was, uh, grew up in the church just as I did. And he said, uh, you know, he would hear these wonderful stories about how God changed somebody's life instantaneously. And he'd say, you know, uh, I hear somebody and they say, um, I used to be a heroin addict, and he said, oh, man, that sounds so cool. I wish I could have done that. <laughs> I said, or, you know, uh, I used to be a hooker in Chicago. He says, yeah, I could have done that, but no, no, I wasn't. So I was basically started out in the church and um, uh, probably was born in the fourth pew from the back on the left side of the congregation and, you know, sent right off into nursery school and stayed there for the next 18 years of my life. Um, I was born on a Wednesday, so it wasn't a big deal. But um, anyway, <laughs> they, uh, I, what I found was as I grew up over time that I just really wanted to seek knowledge about God. And in fact, whenever, uh, as, as Ruth and I um, started our lives together, we actually joined a cult for a while. And uh, the cult was mainly interested in finding that 
little bit of knowledge, interpreting the Bible in such a way that you had some information that absolutely nobody else in the world had. We were a small group of 150 people that knew stuff that nobody else knew, and it was um, the key to making it into heaven, and all the rest of you were bound for hell. Really? And uh, we got to a point where we realized, okay, that's all wrong. And <laughs> we, we, the, the organization as a whole turned its face towards Jesus Christ and towards uh, loving him and, and learning about what the true meaning of Christianity is. Well, amen. And so we were having a potluck one day right after all of these transitions took place, and, and Sybil Wood was sitting there, the delightful young lady that went to church with us, and she says, well, if all of those things that we knew before are no longer relevant, then the only thing that's left is relationships. The only thing left is relationships. And, and that is one of those things, you know, as you look back over your life, you're, you're going to see that there are certain statements or certain things that take place over the course of your life that all of a sudden, you know, they just blow up and they, they stick with you and you just can't get them out of your head. And that just happened to be one of them. And so one of the things that I want to leave you with today is that as you go through this path and as you take these roads in order to get closer to Christ, um, some people's experience is going to be big and vibrant and happen instantaneously and all of these things are going to take place all in an instant. And God can do that. And other people are going to have this slow, methodical pace and there's two things you should realize. Each one of our paths is completely unique, completely individualistic. It is your story. And, and that is very important to realize. So if, if you're walking down that path and you think, oh, you know what? I'm not getting the same kind of a story that Ann has. Well, that's okay, because you're not Ann. And some people's is going to be dra dramatic, and others are going to be less dramatic. But none of them are less miraculous. None of, none of them are less a product of what God wants to do than any of the other ones. So just keep that in mind as you go through this path. If you ever get frustrated, it's your story. Just go, just go with it. Um, about 10 years ago then, um, I was leading some small groups and Bible studies at church, uh, and uh, I would wake up in the morning and say, you know, there's got to be more than this. I, I, I just, I'm missing something. Okay, I get the whole thing. When we die, we're going to spend time with Jesus in heaven, and there's that crystal th sea thing going on, and streets paved with gold, and God's with you, and there's all of these cool things. But what does that do for me now? I, you know, I, I still got bills to pay. I'm still got people at, at work that are just really irritating, <laughs> and I got... And then I got my kids. So <laughs> what, what, what does this do for me now? Okay, I get it. When I die, wonderful things happen. What, what happens now? And, and God revealed to me where Ann started. It's the fruits of the Spirit. Getting a, a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit and letting the fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, live inside of you. So take the, the known, which is that you are going to have difficulties in life. It is going to be a struggle regardless of what you go through. Um, there are always going to be trials. There are always going to be things going on. But what, wait a minute, what happens if you came to the realization that regardless of what took place, if you rely completely on God, that he's going to give you love, and he's going to give you internal peace and internal joy, and he's going to give you patience, and he's going to give you kindness and gentleness and goodness 
and faithfulness and self-control to face any of those issues that you have. You're not alone. You, and, you know, if you stop and you think, okay, what is the ideal of a Christian? You know, you think of Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or somebody like that. My guess is that if you wrote down the attributes of those people, what it is that you really admire about them is that they're filled with peace and joy and patience and faithfulness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Now, don't ask their wives or their children about that because, you know, maybe they'll give you a different image. But the fact of the matter is, if you want to get through life and, and deal with all of those trials you have, you really you just rely on that Holy Spirit living inside of you to give you that gift to deal with whatever comes your way. Then um, a couple of things that came along also, just um, two more quick things is... Um, Recently, I, I came to the realization that I understand somewhat who God is, God the Father, you know? He, he's the creator of everything. He put the whole universe together. He's keeping the stars swirling around and the electrons floating around, and he's taking care of seven billion people on earth all at once and everything else that's going on. And I understand somewhat about the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and, and gives us those things. But, uh, you know, after 54 years of being a Christian, I had to confess that I didn't really get Jesus. Uh, you know, I, I understood, okay, I get the whole thing. He came, he lived, he died. Um, I am forgiven because of him, but I, I just didn't really get him. I could never quite understand how it all fit together. And so one day I just, I just prayed and I said, okay, Jesus, I confess I don't get you. And, and I just want you to reveal yourself to me and come and, and stand next to me. And, and suddenly, immediately, I got this sense of peace that I never had before, this sense of joy. And so one of the key things that we need to understand is that we need, over the course of time, to find a way to relate to God. And the way we do that is just ask him to reveal himself to us. And, and we need to understand, and it should be our life mission, to reach out and try and find out who God is. Not by necessarily studying and all of those kind of things, but just asking him to come into, his, into our lives, reveal himself to us, and show us who he is. And the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll say as far as my life story goes, which um, this is a greatly abbreviated version, you know. You know? <laughs> um, I, I came to a point also where um, I was just really wondering how this all fit together as well. And, and he just really brought into the, the picture this whole idea of um, the most important commandment. And by golly, you know, I don't think that we always as Christians think about that. Somebody asked him, so what's the most important commandment? I would think that if that's the most important commandment, that's where we should be spending a lot of our time. See what's above that door back there? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. And so you, you, you get to this, this thing, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and love each other as yourself. Now, there's, there's two parts to that. One is I don't think he took a breath between the two. Right. He, 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 he said the one, and then he, you know, directly afterwards. Lo and so he brought me to the point where he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Okay, if I take away my heart, the seat of my emotions, and my soul, the seat of whatever it is that I am, and my mind, the way that I think, and my body, which is my physical being, what's left? If you're loving God with your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, then there isn't anything left. It's putting yourself totally and completely into seeking a relationship with him. 
I could not agree more. And yet, that seems to be what's so difficult sometimes, is the trust that's required to let yourself be loved completely by God so that you can, in return, love him back because he loved us first. So how does that work? How do we, with abandon, be able to know how loved we are? Yeah. It's uh, really kind of interesting that uh, God is a perfect gentleman, so he responds to what it is that we allow him to do in so many ways. And um, he, he has the, uh, all of the answers for us. But since we can't see, we're, we're physical beings, and since we can't see, a lot of times we, we just try to do things on our own. And, and uh, I was telling Ann the other day when we were chatting that uh, it, it reminds me of um, you know, a three, Three's Company episode where, <laughs> where a guy's standing next to a fish pond and he falls in, right? And he's flailing and he's saying, I'm going to drown, I'm going to drown. And the people on the dock are going, stand up. You know, you're in two feet of water. And, and, and that's how we are. You know, God is there. He, he's prepared to give us whatever we need. And we're flailing and we're trying to do whatever we can in order to save ourselves. And all he's saying is, stand up. Can a person really, truly thrive without accepting that identity as fully loved by God? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> so in your life, how did it work? If in those stuck places, how does God go about unbinding and un, when you're when you're root bound in a particular area? How do you talk to Him? How do you, how have you seen Him and other people work in your life? Well, I, I think that one of the things that happened to me was uh, I went through some you know really angry times in my life and really uh, difficult times in my life. And one of the biggest lessons that I learned as a result of that is that it's okay to be mad with God. It's okay to be completely honest and, and open with him. And he just wants a conversation, just like we want conversations with anybody else. So um, one of the most important things is just starting the conversation. So if you recognize that God is the most important, the most powerful, the most all-knowing creature in the universe, then you recognize that if he loves you, there isn't anything that he wants to keep from you. And if that's the case, then all he wants is a relationship with you, and he wants a conversation with you. So the, the big thing is just talk to him like you would talk to anybody else. And, and that's one of the most important things. And then what he does is he also puts people in your life. So Ann comes into my life, and we send emails back and forth. They weren't all as pleasant as the one I sent her most recently. <laughs> Sometimes when I was going through some tough times, you know, I would send her an email, and then she would say, you know, so what are you thinking? You know, and she would give me um, some, some guidance, and never judgmental, but always encouraging and, you know, and, and helpful. And that's what we find when we, we need each other. There is just no question about that. We need each other. And he puts people in our lives at just the right time in order to, to help us along and to encourage and to lift us up. And it is so essential if we, if we move to the, to the next slide. You know, the, the first point here that we've been talking about is to know how loved you are. You are completely loved. You don't have to clean it up. You don't have to change a thing. You can't be loved more than you already are. And yet he right. wants a better life for us than, than what maybe we're stuck in. 
But I think the, the second point is to know how forgiven we are so that we see everything that we have as a gift. And that, for me, was just an, an absolutely mind-shifting kind of a thing. When I, when I was finally accept the fact that I was truly loved, even though I had these faults and flaws that s still continue to plague me, but to really get a sense of how much I had been forgiven allows me to see everything as a gift and therefore be better to other people. So why do we so often want to continue to beat ourselves up for these past failures or current failures and, and live as a victim of our circumstances? What keeps us in that bound spot? Uh, well, I think there's two things. One, uh, one thing is that we live in a society that, uh, that focuses on the negative. And so we are programmed to some degree to be uh, focused on judgment and on the, the bad things that take place. The, the other thing is that just as people, we don't think of ourselves as uh, being worthy of God's love. And, and uh, it's kind of like having a conversation with somebody also. Um, I think that Christianity as a whole has a problem with um, focusing on sinfulness, uh, focusing on what it is we're doing wrong, the, the habits we need to break, the rotten tomatoes you need to throw away, mm -hmm. and um, not focusing enough on the good things that are out there for you as well. Not to, not to say that those things don't exist, that there is, you, you don't need to know about sinfulness and all of those things, but just think about this. You're having a conversation with somebody, and, and I, maybe I'm the only one who's had this experience, but there sure feels like something's on your nose. <laughs> so, you know, they're talking, and you just, you know... Keep, keep taking care of whatever it is that's going on there, right? Now, the other person is saying, okay, we've divided up the million dollars into $20 bills. We've put it in an envelope. It's under the shrub in front of your house. You have till 5 o'clock in order to pick it up and take it, and you can do whatever you want. And you're going, okay, sure. You're, you're focused on what's wrong with you rather than on the good things that are available to you. You're missing out on the whole thing that's taking place because your focus is on what's happening to you yourself rather than the incredible blessing that God has for you. And so our focus ends up being on the sin and rather than on the one who has already forgiven us, who's already given us this gift of grace and, and is offering us so much more than we could ever comprehend. You know, and Paul speaks about that greatly in terms of the freedom that is there. And that, man, that argument was going on in the early, the first century church, and it goes on today. And that is, so to say that I'm free means I have a license to sin. And Paul says, no, mm -mm. you know, of course not. But if you are so madly in love with God and what he is doing in and through your life, why would you want to? You don't have time for it. Yeah, so like, how does that play out? Well, it, it's just like whenever you, you uh, started meeting Brad, right? And, and you went out. When you start to have a relationship with somebody and you love somebody, where is your focus? What is it I can do in order to make them happy? What is it that I can do in order to bring a smile to their face? And when you think that, that we want a loving relationship with God, he wants a re loving relationship with us. If we would take that time and focus on what it is that we can do in order to make him happy and bring a smile to his face, when ultimately is all he wants is to have a relationship with us and, and to talk to us and let us talk to him, then it all takes care of itself and your focus gets off of the sin and on to what it is that you can do in order to please God. Yeah, amazing.
You know, this grace thing, it truly transforms us. And, and the whole point of us being here is life change and continual improvement, not through our own works, but through what, can, what God can do in and through us. And part of your last email to me, the, the part that made me bring you up here so that you could talk to us today, you mentioned your friend Lester. Tell us about Lester and, and that specific comment, but just tell us a little bit about Lester himself. Well, Lester spent some time in Afghanistan and he came back and he was wired, you know, because of the things that he experienced while he was there. And um, he also came back to a divorce. His, his wife decided that she had enough. And so um, he was in this really bad situation. And so as we continued to talk with Lester, you know, he came in and talked to me and we had a great conversation. And at the end I said, well, hang in there, buddy. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not hanging in there anymore. I let go a long time ago and I'm in a free fall. And as a Christian, his whole intent with that is, as long as we're holding on to the ledge, as long as we're trying to hold on to something in order to control our circumstances and to control what it is that's going on, we're never going to fully and completely understand grace and understand what God's trying to do for us. But when we let go and we're in this free fall and we're enjoying the fall, knowing completely that we're not going to crash, that there might be a big bowl of jello down there at the <laughs> bottom, of, or, at, or more likely, God's loving hands to grab us before we, anything bad happens to us. We can enjoy this free fall and let go of everything it is that holds us in place and keeps us from growing and learning and being all of the people that we should be. So that free fall, you know, how many of you, when he said the words free fall, all of a sudden your stomach got tight? I'll be honest, when I hear free fall, it frightens me. Yeah. And so that transition into knowing and accepting that that free fall is absolutely where the adventure begins yes. and living begins and fruit <laughs> begins to come forward everything's possible absolutely talk about that oh well again if we go back to the the whole the whole reality of who god is um there is nothing impossible in god nothing so whatever it is that you think that god wants to do with your life whatever plans and, and aspirations that you have there is a 99.9% .9 chance that if you aren't attaining to those things, it's not because God is holding you back from doing what it is that he created you to do. It's because we've put limitations in place as a result of who we are and because we haven't let go and because we don't want um, to take the risk because we're afraid of falling. But the fact of the matter is that there is no limitation for, with God. And whenever you get to the point where you realize that God can do anything, anything, and, and you, you remove those limitations from your mind, all of a sudden the world just changes and, and you're no longer held within that, that, those four walls that have confined you for all of your life. All of a sudden, you know, the world is an absolute possibility. Anything can happen. Is it ever too late to... Free fall? <laughs> no, it's never too late. <laughs> never too late. Thank God for that. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. We, we need to grow this fruit by letting go, don't we? And just allowing him to flood our lives and respond in a way that says yes to him and the no's take care of themselves. Absolutely. 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 I didn't ask you before, but would you pray for us? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. 
Our dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so very much for this wonderful, beautiful day that you've given to us, this opportunity to spend time here with you. We just feel your spirit here today, touching each and every one of our hearts and our minds, and we thank you so much for living in our lives and for giving us endless and ultimate and infinite possibilities in what it is you want us to do. We just ask you that you'll open up our hearts and our minds to who you are and what you're about what you have planned for our lives and what you want us to do and just help us to thrive and no longer just survive but to to do some incredible things that we can't even conceive of at this point in time and we do just praise you and thank you in the name of our lord and savior jesus christ amen amen would you thank my friend mike for being here today